family. Welcome to our new wine series, week number two. Quick, quick couple of things. I just want to agree with Fale. As, as a lot of times we watch these videos, they people are like, oh, congrats. And there was a pastoral transition, so people are honoring, and I love that. But I see this, and we said that it was like this transition time is such a church transition growth time together. Amen? And then there's nothing that God doesn't change or do something new simply because there's a new leader. He does it because I, I like this analogy that when the tide rises, all the boats rise. Amen? So we expect the newness from God to be like a rising tide where everybody who's docked on the gates of our church will all rise together. Amen? So I believe that. I believe that this is something that it, there's something new for all of us, hence this series that we're doing something new. Another thing, too, is I noticed Brooke in that video. She's like, um, congrats to Pastor Mark as the new senior official. And I'm like, man, where are these titles coming from? My new title is technically lead pastor, just so you know. Amen. So I'm not a senior official. I'm not supreme leader. I am just the lead pastor. That is it. Okay. So don't go nuts with the titles. Um, pastor Rick is going to be known as the founding pastor. That's kind of a role, and it's actually a really fitting role for him. Like the, the title matches the role, uh, and, and we'll kind of, we're kind of unpacking that as we go, to be honest. Uh, pray for us. Pray for Pastor Rick and I, because it's interesting as we minister together over the years, there's this, son, um, there's this partnership between him and I uh, that's, that's ministry-oriented. There's also family-oriented, and now we're kind of shifting where... Uh, he's still my dad. He's still my father. Uh, but then me leading at the church is just, a, it's new wind. It's new, it's new change and it's good, uh, but we're figuring it out. <laughs> Amen. So just let you know, I am not senior pastor. I'm not senior leader. I am just your lead pastor. Amen. So, but, and if you're wondering, like, where is Pastor Rick? Did, after the transition, it's like he got raptured or something. Like his time is done. And he, God just took him home. So where has he been? He actually left the day after our transition. He left on a trip. And so he's visiting family on the mainland. He's seeing his grandchildren that he hardly sees. And so he'll be back with us in a week or two. So no, most of the things in this transition time won't be that different. You'll see him lots. He'll be preaching all the time. Same old um, Pastor Rick will be around pastoring and shepherding. So it'll be awesome. But we are part of this, um, in this series, we're exploring that given this season for us, that we have to explore a God who is never changing in his character, but always changing in his will. In terms of, he always has something new in store for you and I. As the human history has continued, humans have failed to honor God in an immaculate amount of ways, but God has pivoted and shifted over and over, and he's done this in your life and my life and in all throughout history. He pivots and he shifts to bring newness, renewal, and restoration where things have been broken. Amen? So he is a God of renewal. He's a God who always makes things new. So we have to ask this question, God, what are you renewing now, and how do I get on board with that? How, do I, how can I see that happening? How can I actually experience your newness in my life as well as what you're doing in our church, in our community, in our nation, etc., etc.? So I want to tell a quick story, a quick timeline of my experience with God. And this might resonate with you. And it'd be really interesting to hear everyone's experience of how, you do, how do you relate to God is the question. How do you relate to him? I remember when I was a kid, my oldest brother Steve told us, in an oldest brother fashion, I've, I have four bro uh, three brothers, there's four of us. He was the oldest. He told the younger three, hey, this is how it works. Every time you sin, you do something against God's will, there's a black spot that comes on your heart. And if you do enough bad things, your heart will turn black and you're going to die. Right? So I'm like six. So I'm like, what did I sign up for? <laughs> this isn't the life I want to live. So 
That was my experience with God as a, like a six-year-old or whatever. So my, my relationship to God was, please don't spite me, right? Don't throw lightning at me. Don't kill me because I have done something wrong. <laughs> That's how I related to God. Fortunately, I grew up in a good Christian home, went to church, and in my adolescence, I started to learn things like, no, God has grace. He forgives. That's not how it works. He doesn't just kill you just because you sin. Um, but it was more of like, he'll kill you if you have bad behavior, you know, like in church, especially. I was a pastor's kid. And so I grew up in a church where every time I messed around or did something wrong, like typical pastor's kid style, I would see, I would get reinforced this idea that God really wants you to behave. And you're, you're displeasing God. He won't kill you, but he's very upset at you, you know, if you're making noises during prayer time and stuff like that. That's because that's what pastors' kids do. Like, we would sit there and make, like, toot noises and stuff during, during sermons and stuff. It was really bad. But that being said, I got kicked out of youth group. I got kicked out of Awana, all that kind of stuff. So it's that, you'll hear those stories later. But the point is, I was learning my interaction. My, how I interacted with God was, again, man, God, I know you want, you'll like that person. They're really good behaved. They're really well behaved. You'll like this person because they do everything right. I, I'm a mess up. I, I, I screw things up all the time. You're not going to like me. And so my, my, I always felt at odds at him in my adolescence because I felt like my behavior didn't add up. Does that make sense? Then I went to college. And in college, I realized, no, I grew in that. I, I'm like, no, God has grace. And I, I'm, a, I'm his child. And I'm a son of the Most High. And, and he's forgiven my sins. And it's not about my behavior anymore. It's about my faith. And these really big revelations. Um, but what happened is when I went to Christian college, I started taking theology classes. In every class and in between classes with people, we talk about doctrines and we talk about what's right and what's wrong and where's truth stand in this and how does this scripture should be interpreted and all this kind of stuff. And then my relationship with God became prideful that I know God better than you because I think my understanding of scripture is better than yours. Does that make sense? So I, I had this like prideful getting into like scripture mode. And again, these are all very tainted ways that we relate to God. And so good th the good news is, from the beginning of when I was like six to all the way, this is my story, of six all the way till college, God would teach me slowly, he is a good father. He is a friend, that he is a provider. He is a protector and a comforter. He is a healer. And I learn all these things about him, who he is. But there is one thing that I believe changed my entire perspective about something shifted my faith when I learned one thing about him. And how do I relate with him? And it has to do with, remember last week we talked about this, that the new wine that God might want to bring in your life and in my life has to do with changing a perspective. Do you see things the way that God sees them? Do, are you able to let go of your preconceived notions and understand how Christ would actually see and hear and be and present in this situation? So there's something that has to shift in our, in our minds and in our hearts in order to receive the newness that Christ has for us. So for me, the big shift was not just that God loved me and cared for me and was out to do good things for me. It actually, when it began to realize, it's not actually about me. <laughs> Amen? And there's a realization that when I realize God is up to something and his invitation to me, the why, why he loves me and why he provides for me and protects me and why he heals me is because there is an, a mission at hand and he's invited me to be a part of that. Amen? So this is what we call, in the Bible, a covenant. Everyone say covenant. A covenant. It's a very Bible-y word. It's, as soon as I said I saw three of you fall asleep. Covenant. And everyone's like, ah, right? Covenant. 
It's a, it's a bible word, but here's a formal definition. It's entering a formal relational partnership to achieve a shared goal. The moment for me personally when I realized like a shifting in my faith where I saw Jesus come alive in my life and I saw miracles happen more regularly was when I realized it's not just about my comfort, my comfort, my sanity, my safety, my provision. It's actually what God is trying to do everywhere. And where is my role in that, God? Like how can I be a partner with you in what you're doing? So for, for, for most of my life, I grew up thinking, how can God be a blessing to my life? And now I've grown up, and I've, as I've matured, I'm starting to ask the question, God, how can I be a blessing to your life, to your mission, to your will? How can I be a part of what you've asked us to partner with? What are you doing? God, what are you up to? What do you want to do? How can I be a part of that? This is the invitation of a covenant, right? So I really want to quickly go through a couple covenantal things. Number uh, Luke 5 says it this way. Luke 5 says, no one puts on, this has kind of been our, our theme verse for the series, no one puts on a new wine, new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins, right? We talked about this last week. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But listen to this. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. <laughs> so this is like, okay, Lord, how is this... Uh, Speak to us in this last verse, verse 39. How many of us enjoy the status quo of our faith? That it's fine. Everything we're doing is just great. I don't need God to do anything new because everything seems to be just hunky-dory, right? The old wine's great. Don't need nothing new. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for the offer. But why don't you take a side, sit on the stage while, while I just keep doing what I'm doing? And I go through the motions, Right? We do this to God. And this is what he's saying is nobody, I'm offering new wine, but nobody wants to drink it. Everyone's totally content with the old. And so this is where I feel like the spurring of the Holy Spirit, especially in our church right now, is saying, will you be willing enough to try something new, to try a new wine? Now, wine is funny because wine tastes better as it gets older. So we've, we like the taste of what's old, if that makes sense. New wine seems like a demotion in a sense, but to be able to give up what we're comfortable with and where we've seen God move and we've experienced him in powerful ways and say, like, God, do it again. Do something new. Blow my mind again. Let's see what happens. This is, there's a step of faith to be able to say, like, God, your will be done. I want to see what you're doing. Amen? So this is what this verse is all about. Will you have the capacity in your spirit to contain the new wine that God wants to bring? Jesus promised he's bringing it and he's depositing it. But the question is, are you ready to receive it? Is there something in your heart that's blocking you and saying, no, I'm fine with the old way of thinking. I don't know if I, don't know if I want the new way. So this largely is talking about the new covenant. That God has, we, Jesus has given us a new way to relate to God. Does that make sense? The same way that I related to God different stages of my life and you probably have in your life. Jesus has given us a brand new way to relate to God. Isn't that amazing? So we relate to him in a way that is new and it's fresh and we have to throw away the old way of thinking in order to attain that, if that makes sense. So here really quick, covenant in Hebrew is berit. Everyone say berit. In Greek, it's diatheke. Everyone say diatheke. So covenant, the, the sort of the literal meaning of covenant has to do, berit as actually insinuates something. It's a partnership or a, a relationship, but it has a cutting element to it right? And so you're like, what, cutting? And it'll make sense in a minute. 
but it means entering a formal relational partnership to accomplish a goal. So here's a quick example of a covenant in the Bible. First Kings, it's a random story, but it's a good example. So Hiram, the king of Tyre, and Tyre was a city in modern-day Lebanon, kept Solomon supplied with all the cedar and juniper logs he wanted. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, in addition to 20,000 baths of pressed olive oil. Solomon continued to do this for Hiram year after year. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom just as he had promised him. There were peaceful relations between Hiram and Solomon, and the two made a what? A covenant. So what is a covenant? A covenant is not just a business deal. It's not just a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours situation. It's relational. It's me, it means that like when you and I relent, enter a, an agreement here, I'm relying on you. So you can't pull the chair from under me or else I'm going to break. Like I need you to, to up, uphold your part of the deal and you need me to uphold my end of the deal. And together we can actually achieve something greater than I can do on my own or you can do on your own. So the shared purpose or a shared goal is at the center of a covenant. So when we ask about, well, what does the covenant with God look like? You have to ask the question, what's, this, what's the goal? What's the shared purpose that Jesus and us as a church are trying to walk through together? So now the question for us, this is an, an interesting part of covenants. This is where it gets weird. You guys ready for some weird Bible things? How they made a covenant was strange. Typically when, when two kings would make a covenant, they would kill an animal cut it in half, literally, separate the two sides of the animal, and hold hands and walk through the two sides, halves of the animal together. It's weird. And you're like, what, what is this weird bloody mess that you're, <laughs> you're, you're do- talking about? And it doesn't have to do with like sort of, we think like sacrificing animals and atonement and those things. It's not actually that. It's, it's, it communicates the severity of the promise that you're walking into. So death is on the line here. The stakes are high. So when I'm promising this, like, I'm full-on committed to it, right? And so when I'm committing to this promise, I'm committing that as we walk through these bloodied animals carcasses together, you and I are citing a blood oath, in a sense. We're in it for the long haul. And I love how it says in that verse in 1 Kings, it says that he, um, Solomon, continued to uphold his end of the bargain. You give me logs, I'll give you wheat. He continued his end of the bargain for year after year after year there's a longevity that comes with covenant, that this is a promise that will last a lifetime if done well. Amen? But then we get into like another kind of covenant in, in the Bible, and we see this in Malachi. It, it has to do with marriage. So kind of the one earthly covenant that we still see and use that terminology for, because it's kind of a bible churchy word, covenant, is for marriage. We talk about the covenant of marriage. Malachi 2.14 says this, that the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your covenant. So he's, Malachi is talking about someone who broke their marriage covenant. Proverbs, the same thing. She has abandoned the partner of her youth and her what? Her covenant, wait, before God. So this is an interesting dynamic. A covenant spiritually is not just two people, there's a third party involved, right? This is what we talk about. If you ever hear a wedding ceremony and someone's preaching about covenants at a wedding ceremony, we're saying a wedding is not just a man and a wife. There's actually a third party. I call him the great third wheel of any good marriage. The great third wheel is Christ himself, that he is in and through the entirety of your marriage. And so this is cool because just this last week, we got to see this in action. So here's a quick picture. 
Um, last, this last week, Kahua and Melissa actually renewed their vows on their 10th wedding anniversary. Isn't that awesome? They got married exactly 10 years ago. And they renewed their vows. And here's what's beautiful. I was looking at this picture. And, you know, obviously I'm in the left. But if you look at that right picture, how many people do you see? I see three. I see a husband, I see a wife, and I see this beautiful light shining through the clouds, right? This is a picture, a beautiful picture of a covenant. That when we walk and promise together that God is in it and through it, and it affects my faith, affects your faith, and our relationship together is a reflection on the integral nature of God in us. Does that make sense? So this is, this is the beautiful cohesion that happens through covenant, covenant marriages. And so the same way we walk down an aisle, good thing we don't have to walk through bloody carcasses for marriages, but we walk down an aisle in the same thing that as you and I walk down the aisle together, we're taking a step forward, walking through the promises and into the future of covenant uh, covenant relationship together. So if that makes sense, you're like, wait, what is that? That was a lot of things. <laughs> so here's the big idea, that in the Bible, God is the first and most frequent initiator of covenants. So people can make covenants together, but God is almost always the one who initiates them, and he's the one who most frequently initiates them, and he's, we see it first happen in the Garden of Eden with Adam and with Eve. He made a covenant with them. We see it with Abraham. We saw it with Moses. We saw it with David. We see covenants. Covenants you can also call, in a way, promises, relationships that are based on a promise of God. We see it with Noah in the ark, right? There's relationships that are at the center of it is when God promises something to us. There are two kinds of covenants. Number one is conditional. So think of Israel. Israel, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. The Mosaic covenant with the law. You have no other gods before me. Don't put any idols before me. If you do, there will be a punishment. If you break your end of the bargain, if you break your end of the covenant, there's a penalty for this. There's going to be some kind of repercussion for it. It's conditional that I will bless you as long as you continue to be obedient to what I ask. Now, there's unconditional ones too. And this is where we see God's heart really come alive. You think about Noah on the ark. Remember Noah? They came off the ark and the dry land came and they sent the dove and he brought the thing back and he promised him a rainbow. He gave him a rainbow and made the promise I will never use a flood to destroy the earth ever again. And this was a beautiful promise, but there's no condition. He didn't say, if you continue to blah, 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 blah. He said, promise, period. Never again this is going to happen. Our relationship, you are good because our covenant has made made by me. I've sealed the deal with a period. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> and this is what's beautiful. Here's a good picture of a list of covenants. So here's key Old Testament covenants, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Israel, etc., Adam and Eve failed their covenant. Noah, even though he had no expectations, in a way failed to live up to the promise that God gave him. Abraham failed his end of the covenant. Moses and Israel failed their end of the covenant. David himself failed his end of the covenant. And this is what's crazy. God was preparing us through the failures of humanity for somebody else to come and do something new and fulfill what we couldn't do in in times past. Isn't that awesome? And so this is what we call the new covenant. Here it is. Jeremiah 31, even before Jesus came, Jeremiah prophesied this. He said this, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. 
This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as husband loves wife. He's using marriage covenant terminology. I loved Israel like a husband loves his wife, but they cheated on me, basically. They broke that covenant. But I'm going to make something new that is not like that. Amen? And so what I love about this is that God, even before Jesus came, God was stirring something up. He was planning for newness. Because remember, God shifts and he pivots and he knew that somebody needed to come and free us from our end of the deal. Because he knew as long as I keep making promise-oriented relationships with people, they're not going to hold up their end. So this is what's good for you and I. This is really good news. That a God who cannot, or the God who never breaks his promises, not only fulfills your, or his end of the promise, but he comes down to earth in the flesh and fulfills our end as well. That's incredible. That is a God who loves us and is for us. And so we jump, let's jump over to this because we're going to see this really come alive in Hebrews 8. It says this, but now Jesus, our high priest, has given a ministry that is superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God. Wait, the author of Hebrews is saying that this new covenant we have with Christ is better than any covenant that's ever happened before, based on better promises. You and I live under better promises than God's followers in the past. The first covenant had been, if it had been faultless, There would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. To clarify, there's nothing at fault with the covenant that he made. There was at fault with people who were unable to uphold their side of the covenant. And so God is saying this, I'm going to bring something new, and this, the author of Hebrews living in this time, he's talking to Jews who have run away. And they're saying, I don't know about this Christianity thing. I'm going to go back to my old faith. I'm going back to the old wine. And so as they go back to the old wine, he's saying, wait, 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 wait. We live on a much better premise now. He just finished talking about Jesus as the high priest. Jesus is our new high priest, meaning that you don't have to go to any human anymore. We can access God through Christ himself. That's a brand new promise. And so when he's talking about this verse to Jews, he's making a case with Jewish language that there could be no better situation for humans relating to God than what we have right now. Amen? Do we believe that? Amen. So he says this, this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on this day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. Here's what you and I have in this new covenant. You and I have a new new way to relate to God that's brand new. I mean, for us, it's 2,000 years old since Jesus lived, but it's still brand new compared to the rest of history. This new covenant, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. You don't have to keep looking through books, making sure you're keeping the commandments, because if you know Christ, he will write them on your hearts. Your mind will be changed so you have them written on your mind. Amen? This is, a, this is miraculous. I don't know if you understand that. This is a miraculous statement from the Lord. Now, in Deuteronomy, he's, he's mimicking the language of Deuteronomy where it says, you keep my commands by you write them on your forehead, you write them on your arm, you write them on your doorpost, you make sure you don't forget my commandments. He's saying, now, I'm writing them. I'm writing them. Now, let me tell you a quick story. This is out of Genesis 15. This, this might blow your mind. 
You might know this story in Genesis 15. I'm going to kind of summarize it. Jesus, God is talking to Abram before he becomes to Abraham. And he makes Abram two promises. He says, number one, Abram, you are going to have, he takes him outside and he says, look at the stars. You're going to have as many kids as you can count in the, in the sky. And I don't know about you. Have you ever looked at stars and tried to count them before? It's impossible. It's innumerable. And what is, what is Abram's response? Abram tells God, I trust you. I believe that. And he's like, good that you have faith. And he says, let me make you a second promise. Second promise, that this land, you're an immigrant in this land. I called you out of Ur, and you're going to live here with your family, and you guys are going to be, this will be your land for your people. And he's like, mm, I don't know if I believe that. His response is, Lord, how could that be? How are you actually going to make that happen? And this is the weirdest response ever from God. He says, go and get a ram, go and get a goat, go and get two, a calf, a heifer, and go and get two birds. Wait, what? <laughs> God tells him, oh, if you don't trust it, I'm going to give you this land and your, your children. Why don't you go get a fleet of animals? He's like, all right. So he goes and he gets an animal. He gets these animals. And so the Lord split them in half, as covenants do. He separated them. He separated all the animals, except the birds. He didn't cut them in half. He just put one on either end. And this is where traditionally in a covenant, Abram would have walked with God through it, having them both agree to their end of the bargain. So you, in other words, God says, you stick with me, and I, these promises will come true with your life. But something different happens. God puts Abram to sleep. Abram falls asleep, and in his dreams, he's having visions of the future of slavery in Egypt. And so he's saying, you're, he's trying to tell Abram, your family's going to go through a lot, but I'm going to rescue you out of this. Don't worry. I just want to give you a little glimpse of what's to come for your family. Meanwhile, while Abram is sleeping through the parted animals, a, f- a pot of fire and a torch hop their way in between the animals. This is in the Bible. Go read it. Isn't this the weirdest story? What is happening? God knew from the beginning that Abram would not be able to fulfill his end of the covenant. So God put him in a sleep and said, let me walk through this by myself. What is he saying? He's saying that everything in your life, every blessing, every promise that is going to come true has to be me. Amen? It has to be. So the, the torch and the fire pot represent God himself, like the burning bush. God always, the Holy Spirit always shows up in fire. The fire marched through the covenant aisle, the covenant path, and says, I'm going to do this. I don't want you to walk and make a promise through something I know you're going to break. Let me carry the burden of this promise, this burden of this relationship. And so here's, this is where it gets interesting for us, because Jesus steps on scene, and the same thing happens. Remember Passover. Jesus breaks the bread in half, it says, and what does he say? He says, this is my body, broken for you, and he takes, in Luke it says, he takes the cup and says, this is my blood covenant. This is my blood covenant. Jesus was mimicking in the Last Supper the covenant where he would take on the full weight of the responsibility of our relationship, our partnership together, knowing that we're going to mess up. He had just told his disciples, you guys are going to betray me but it's okay. I'm going to walk through this covenant by myself. And this might seem like, oh, shucks, we can never hold. This is the best news ever. Because this is what it means for you thinking that you have to maintain your own relationship with God. God might be telling you here this morning, stop striving so hard and rest in me. 
Go to sleep like Abram did and let me do the heavy lifting. Amen? Sit and be with me as I walk through the promise and let me fulfill that promise in your life. Stop trying to do it yourself. This is how God works. This is the God who fulfills our end of the covenant. Isn't he good? So it is better to be in covenant with God based on better promises. What a, <laughs> what a verse. But here's a couple things uh, where he's, he makes it very clear, the author of Hebrews, where this new covenant, this new relationship with God, where he takes ownership of our side of the promise and his side of the promise, this is where it comes to life for us. His law is going to live in our minds and in our hearts. Have you ever met somebody who just knows the word of God and they don't have to study and study and study and study it? There's this one kupuna we visit on Moloka'i, um, Uncle Leimana, and he, he, he runs a fish pond. But when you come, I kid you not, you can quote him. Tell me Leviticus 14.5, and he, the uncle will quote it. He spent his so much, his, his life, a lot of life studying scripture. Now when he's in the fish pond and he's restoring it, it just comes naturally, and it flows. And when he talked to him, he cannot help but speaking scripture. It is written on his heart. He doesn't have to read the Bible anymore because it is so deeply written on heart. It's not just memory, like photo memory. It's written here. Amen? God has the ability to now write scripture in your mind and in your heart so that in any given situation, you can hear his voice. That is a new kind of relationship. That is a new covenant relationship. So he, you'll write them on your hearts, your minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. He's talking about all people, not just Jews. But for those of us who aren't Jewish, we're Gentiles, we're his people too. All the people of the, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. He goes on to say this, they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. So I'm not teaching anymore. Done. Right? No. That's not, he's not saying that don't teach the things of Christ anymore or tell people about the Lord anymore. What he's saying is, you need not a mediator between you and God who tells it how it is. There are religions still yet on this earth where pastors, good thing we talked about that this morning, where pastors or priests or somebody will sit here in a position to say, let me filter your words to God and God's words to you. He's saying that filter is done. That sheet on the temple was torn in two, so you have direct access to God yourself. Isn't that amazing? That's not an old covenant life. That's a new covenant life. So we live in a life where you have constant access to God at every single moment of the day. Isn't that beautiful? So newness is available to you at any time of the day, whenever you ask. If you ask, you seek, your knock. He's like, boop, there you are. I was waiting for you. He's waiting to open the door for you. I believe that. So God is ready you don't, you don't longer need to send people to teachers, is what it's saying. You can go God direct, to God directly yourself. It's beautiful. And then he continues. He says this, I will forgive their wickedness. I will never again remember the sins. Remember, if you look at this passage, he's saying, I, 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 I. God carries the kuleana. He's going to restore. He's going to break things. He's going to break through sin. He's going to change your life. He's going to transform you. You can't do it on your own. Let him do it through you. This is the beautifulness of the new covenant. If God's like, oh, if they're going to keep failing at upholding their end of the covenant, why don't I go live inside of them and make it happen? Amen? This is really what Christianity is. So from Genesis to Revelation, God is trying to get inside of you so that the flourishing life that comes with covenant with God himself would come to life as Christ lives in us. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date, and it will soon disappear. 
Amen? Amen. So here's what, if you're like, what exactly is this new covenant? Here's a thought. It's an unconditional partnership with Jesus where we help him expand the kingdom of God here on earth. So could it be that you know your God is your provider? Amen. That you know God is good and he's, been, he's a healer and he's been taking care of you. He's been providing finances for your family forever. Amen. Have you stepped into the newness of saying, I, God is asking you with an open hand, come partner with me as my mission gets completed here on earth. For me, this didn't happen until I went on my first, uh, first real mission trip. When we were, first of all, you saw Ken on the video. When we went to Kenya for the first time, and we saw, my, my wife and I, and we went with two others, and we built a greenhouse in this desert area. And long story short, it was such a fruitful trip. We saw God work in so many really crazy ways, like mir- miraculous things come to life. You're realizing, like, all I did was say yes, and God did a whole bunch of stuff. Amen? With a mustard seed of faith, you can move a mountain. This is the promise of the new covenant. You, what do you bring to the table in this partnership? A mustard seed of faith. What does Jesus bring? Mountains are moving. Anything can happen. Anything is possible. So the impossible comes to life. The most unhealable are healed, right? The most unreconcilable relationships are reconciled because we bring to the table a little bit of faith and Jesus brings the absolute power and strength and sovereignty and love. Amen. So this is what new covenant relationship looks like. So this is, you might, the Holy Spirit might be poking you already with application to this, right? But we'll get there. Here's how to walk in new covenant. Number one, you got to pursue a new covenant relationship with Jesus. Remember, he says, some of you will love drinking the old wine. You're going to stay in the old wine. And so can't do much. It seems like if you're too happy with the old wine, then there's going to be nothing new for you. If you don't pursue a new covenant relationship and stop living in old covenant ways, think about it this way. The old covenant made everything external. You read the law. You were taught externally. You were changed externally by your obedience to the law. Jesus took everything external and he made it internal. I'm going to change you from the inside out. The promises aren't going to be out here. The scripture is not going to be out here. It's actually going to live inside you. It's going to be in your heart. So this is something miraculous. So Jesus took what's external and he came to live within us and make everything an organic expression of faith by the transformation that happens from within. A new covenant relationship with Jesus means you are pursuing newness with God. And you're like, Jesus, I believe in you. I have faith. Whatever your circumstance is, you can be like, you know what, Jesus, you get them already. I know you get them. But for so many of us, it, it keep, keeping our hearts from doubt, keeping our our, our, our Um, our tendency to put God in a box and be like, God, I know that you can do this, but so I'm not going to really pray for this because it seems outside of what I've, I've currently experienced you doing. May our expectations just blow up and allow God to do something bigger than we could think or ask. Amen? Let's pray for that God. Let's pray for that kind of newness. Number two is this. You got to recognize that you're no longer a slave to your sin. A big part of new covenant is that you don't have to atone. Oh, you don't have to atone by making sacrifices, sacrificing animals and obeying the law to atone for your sin anymore. He has died for the wicked and the righteous alike on the cross. Whoever will receive the grace by faith in Jesus will be saved. You are, this is what he means. You are no longer a slave to the things of this world. You are, he, Paul says it this way, you're a slave to righteousness. Think about that. 
You are a slave. You are indebted. You are, everything within you is righteous now when you receive Christ. You are the righteousness of Christ. The reason the law was given to Israel in the first place was because they came out of Egypt and they forgot what it meant to be free. They still lived the life of a slave even though God had already freed them. Could it be that your old wine that you're still drinking is keeping the mindset of a slave even though God has set you free? Amen? Let me tell you, this is, this is real life for me. For many years, and young people, I've, you guys have heard this story already in youth. For many years, I found myself a slave to pornography, a slave to lust. And I would try to guilt myself out of it. Anybody been there? You're stuck in a stinking thinking pattern. Whatever drives, whatever you're coping with in life that drives you to do some of these things that are against God's plan for your life, that are destructive for your relationships, for whatever reason I was going there, I knew in my heart, because the law of Christ was written in my heart, I knew it was wrong. But I couldn't get out of it. And I couldn't stop it. And the long story short goes like this, that as soon as we got married, I thought it would just disappear when it got married. Surprise, it didn't. Meg and I had this collision, which was probably honestly one of the best things for our marriage, that it came to light and it came to surface. And for the, what changed in my habit at the time, this is years ago, over a decade ago, what changed in my habits was I stopped trying so hard to control my sin. And I said, Lord, free me from this. You take the kuleana. You, take the, you drive this ship. I can't do it on my own. I try to use my guilt and feel bad enough. Like if I feel sorry enough, then I'll stop doing it. And it never works. Isn't that crazy? You might have been there before too. If you're stuck in something, your own guilt and shame cannot do what the, only the grace of God could do. And so when I allowed the grace of God to penetrate me, here's what happened. This is the short story. It, took, it was a process. My mind started shifting. I started realizing how grotesque of an art form this thing really is, pornography. How it ruins lives. How the people involved with it, I started thinking, what would make someone sign up to do something like this? What was going on in their life to make, make them choose this path, right? And what over time, and I realize it's attached to slavery, it's attached to sex slavery, and there's all these things that's it's poisoning our entire culture. And what God opened up my mind to was that how not just bad it was in terms of rules, but how actually disgusting it is when you carry the heart of God. That this, it, put it this way, what used to be so tempting, I found so repulsive. That only happens when the Spirit of God changes my mind and transforms my heart because of it. So I cannot, I'm serious, amen. And I say this not to pat myself on the back, but to say that it wasn't until I released myself from carrying the burden of my own sin that God could come in and do something new. Amen? So this might be you this morning. Release control of managing your own sin. Allow God to do that. And so for some of you, you might be stuck in something, some kind of addiction, some kind of ongoing habit that's breaking you. You know it's destructive. The heart of God lives in you, so you know the Spirit of God is convicting your spirit. This isn't what's for you. But could it be that God is saying, let me have that? Let me do it. I took care of it on the cross. You can no longer. You are no longer a slave. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. He is fully free. So you have been fully freed from sin. That means that guilt and shame and condemnation no longer live on your life. Amen. 
So if you feel bad after you sin, here's a classic example. I'll give you really fast. I had a um, couple I was pastoring a long time ago came to me one time and told, us, told me, like, oh, Pastor Mark, we've been in sin in these kinds of ways and shared some stuff with me. And my natural reaction was, like, in my, in my mind was like, oh, we got to fix these guys. We got to, we got to, they're, they're walking in sin. We got to fix this. What came out of my mouth is I just kind of prayed in my heart was like, oh, do you feel guilty about it? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, stop that. That's first. Stop feeling guilty about it. They're like, wait, but we're, we're doing something. Yeah, you're doing something wrong. But the transformation will come, but the, the immediate effect of receiving the grace of Christ is releasing yourself from the burden of your sin that shows up in guilt and shame. Release it first. You allow the Holy Spirit. He will transform your life. I believe that, honestly. But you cannot get to, tra- you cannot push transformation unless people have received the grace and know that they're still loved by God even when they sin, that they have been fully forgiven. Amen? What a concept. This is new covenant living. You are free. There is newness in your life when you realize sin has no power on you, that the weight of your sin is cast off and the weight that you carry now is the weight of God's glory, that he has something new for you, that he has called you to something greater and his purpose in your life, the enemy wants your purpose to be diminished by the weight of your sin to convince you you're not good enough in God's eyes. So we have to look back to our new covenant promise in Christ that I am no longer a slave to my sin. I have been fully forgiven by Christ. And when Jesus said, it is finished, I will believe him. Amen? Amen. Okay. You guys with me? <laughs> I'm out of breath. Okay. So I just want to make sure this is clear. You have been set free. You are forgiven. I am forgiven. This is the most joyful part about our faith. Number three, understand that the power you have through the Holy Spirit. Understand the power that you have. Power means nothing without love. So when we say power of the Holy Spirit, power is, when it comes to God's power, it's always attached and and affiliated with love. So God wants you to love people powerfully. Have you ever thought about it like that? He doesn't want you to love people, you know, oh, so sorry about that. He doesn't want you just to kind of like weakly love people. He wants you to call people out of darkness and into light. He wants you to sharpen as iron sharpens iron. He wants you to draw the lost into reconciled relationships with the Father. These are powerful moves of the Holy Spirit through acts of love. Amen? So we could talk about this all day, and we'll probably get to it in future future, um, sermons on this topic. But understand that the new covenant relationship, the uniqueness, is that in Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come for a unique time at a unique presence for a unique purpose. Think Samson. The Holy Spirit came on him just for a mission for a short time. When his hair was cut, it was gone. We live with constant access to the power of God. What, what Israelites 2,000, 3,000 years ago dreamed about having access to God that way, we have at our regular disposal. That's incredible. So God can continually forgive and seek and reconcile relationships that have been broken. I don't care how broken you think your relationships are with people. When the power of the Holy Spirit is involved, crazy things can happen. And I could give you all kinds of stories, but I won't go there. Reconciliation, healing for your body. The, the Holy Spirit wants your body to be healed. I genuinely believe that. He wants you to walk in freedom physically and spiritually. And so whether it's reconciling, whether it's healing, whether it's helping, this is, remember, it's all for the mission of God. Whether it's helping other people understand what God is doing, giving you a word of knowledge or a word of affirmation or a word of wisdom for somebody. The Holy Spirit is ever active and present. Amen?
So this leads us to the last thought. <laughs> Here's our hope. And worship team can come up. But our hope is this, that God will always fulfill where we tend to fail. Isn't that good news? God will always fulfill where we tend to fail. Paul says it this way. Paul figured this out. And so he wrote it in the Bible. He says, where, as he says, I boast in my weakness because that's where he makes me strong. Isn't that a crazy statement? I actually boast in how weak I am because I know where I fail, I know guaranteed in this covenant relationship, he will fulfill it. That is an amazing God. So can, what we're going to do is we're going to worship together. But as we worship, can we stand? And I just want to lead us in a prayer. And this prayer is just a new wine, new spirit, new covenant prayer. So bow your heads with me. And, and can I ask you to, to put your hands out? If you want to receive something new from the Lord, put your hands out just as a gesture. And Jesus, we just say this morning, Lord, there is no God like you. There is no one who can offer us this life of flourishing and overwhelming shalom and peace and prosperity the way that you can. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross that has fully cleansed us of our wickedness. You have fully taken our sin. You've taken the weight, the shame, the guilt, and you're transforming us as we release those things in forgiveness. You're transforming us from the inside out. Jesus, I pray right now for those of us with our hands raised, our hands stretched, would you come and write your, your word, write scripture on our hearts. Come and dwell within us. May we hear your voice internally, Lord, when things get tough. Jesus, may we never forget the sound of the resonating voice of our God. May it not be confusing with voices in the world. May we know clearly when it's you speaking. May the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. God, I pray that right now for those of us who need to hear your voice in this new covenant. Thank you, God, for proving we're in a new kind of relationship with you by the way that you speak to us. We pray, God, for a new covenant of um, relationship, of um, forgiving others. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that we have been set free from sin. Help us not to be the type who are so set free that we're still imprisoning other people. Lord, help us to forgive others the way you've forgiven us. Jesus, lead us out of hypocrisy. Lead us, lead us out of injustice. Help us fight for what's right, what's pono in your eyes. God, we know that in this new covenant relationship, you lead us and you guide us so that we know you make our paths straight. We pray, God, too, for this new wine, for a new cup to be poured into us. Father, for us to raise, rise to the occasion that you are up to something in this world, that you're on mission, you're, you, you have an agenda, you're, you're, you're changing people, and you're moving people, and you're bringing the kingdom of God here more than ever before. God, not only help us to see it, help us to say yes to the invitation to be a part of it. God, keep us a part of community. For those of us who love to drift and haven't got truly connected yet, Father, bring us into tight-knit community where we can sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. God, where we can edify one another, we can build each other up with our words, with our lives. God, I pray that your purposes in our lives would be bigger than ours. I pray, God, we wouldn't find identity and meaning and purpose just through work, through family, through external things, but we'd find it foremost through the God who lives internally within us. Thank you, God, for this new relationship. We thank you for this new covenant. God, I pray for bold steps of faith as we bold, walkly, walk boldly forward into a new kind of relationship with you. 
Jesus, we love you. And we pray all these things as Christ's church and all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's worship together. Amen. Before we go, a couple of reminders. Number one, this Tuesday night, there is a group for you. So if you come and you haven't signed up for a group yet, we have from junior high and high school all the way 
to men's and women's, we want to be in community together. So come and be a part, get connected in smaller circles of groups. It's going to be amazing. Also, next week, you don't want to miss it because we have, in the spirit of new wine and new opportunities, there's going to be a, a presented new opportunities for you to maybe go deeper in your faith and experience Jesus in a new way. So there'll be ways for you to sign up and get connected. New things that our church has never <laughs> seen yet or been involved with yet, but they're going to be amazing opportunities. So make sure you're here next week. God bless you. God keep you. Go and eat a hot dog together and be blessed in your fellowship. Amen. Aloha, church family. Thank you so much for joining with us in worship this morning. We truly hope that you were refreshed and, and strengthened in your faith during these crazy pandemic days. We want, invite you to look at all of our messages. They're available on our YouTube channel. We'd also invite you to download our church app. It's just a great way for us to keep in touch, to communicate, also for you to receive materials. So uh, take advantage of downloading that church app. We would invite you to partner with us as we continue serving God faithfully during these days. And you can give online, you can give on our website, uh, or mail a check into our street address. We really appreciate your support with that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord grant you peace. We love you. Aloha.